Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. By my count, this is the first ever Saturday morning edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert joined again today by Julian McKenzie. And Julian, forget Joel Edmondson and Mark Shifley and Ryan Graves and Ryan Reeves. The baddest blood in the NHL right now seems to be between you and Carey Price. What is going, <laughs> what is going on with you two? What's going on? There's nothing, man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yes, I did tweet that... Uh, Four words between the two questions I've asked him in the postseason. It was funny. I think some of my media colleagues are more upset about this than I am because I thought his his answer was great to my question yesterday. Uh, I'm also more upset at the people who, for some reason, think I don't know how to ask a question. Uh, so that's clearly not the case. I clearly know how to do that. But uh, nah, no beef with Carey. And uh, more broadly for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, they have to be loving how he's been playing. He's saved his best hockey for the most important games of the year. Everyone kind of dogged him for the regular season that he had, and now he's coming up huge in the playoffs, which shouldn't be much of a surprise because he's done this before. But I digress. Well, you're right. I'm not going to go off on too much of a tangent, but, I mean, people think it's so easy to ask questions in scrums and on Zoom videos and such, such and such. And it's not really because you're opening yourself up every time you ask a question to a bit of an angry or bitter or athlete that just wants to make a point, making you the example. And I, I, I just I agree with you. I think it was actually a great answer and a great answer for you to help you write your story, because it is amazing how the moments that are like either curt or, you know, off script or just don't go back to the normal cliche basically write the story for you. And I love what you wrote in your piece last night for The Athletic. Thank you. You just said, you just said that Carey Price fields questions, questions the same way he stops pucks. There aren't many rebounds. That is a great line. And without Carey Price giving you only two words, you might not have had it. So there you go. Might have had just like a really boring story about how boring the game was. Because let's be real, game two, by comparison to game one, a lot less eventful and in comparison to the other game we'll eventually get to on this podcast, uh, it felt mm. like if you're like going out to dinner and you eat like a very modest like entree, maybe it's like, I don't know, like a salad or something. And there's not even like any dressing or nothing. It's just a very small salad. And then Trying you to get healthy. To, yeah. And then you go Vegas, Colorado, which is just like lobster, pork chops, all <laughs> the good stuff, just all this one platter. That's basically what it was. But Hey, the Montreal Canadiens have a 2-0 series lead on a Winnipeg Jets team that I knew going – I figured going into game two, considering the way the Jets were looking, you have no Mark Shifley, 
Uh, no Dylan DeMello. It looks like he's going to be out for quite some time. And, and Paul Staxley wasn't available to them. And at different points in the game, too, uh, or I don't know if Sportsnet kind of made it seem that way, maybe more serious than not, but at one point, jo- Josh Morrissey needed a bit more time. I had to go to the bench. Like Wheeler, I think, took a shot off somewhere. Needs to go to the bench. Andrew Kopp as well. There were some brief injury scares for the Winnipeg Jets. And considering what their roster is looking like right now, they could not afford to have any of those guys go down. Uh, but, yeah, the Montreal Canadiens needed to win game two and take advantage of the fact that we're at a disadvantage with the guys out of their roster. And now they get to go home with a 2 nothing series lead. It's a pretty big advantage. Well, I'm glad you took the lead on this conversation as we transition into the game. It was a one nothing victory for the Montreal Canadiens in Game 2, as you mentioned, to take that 2 nothing series lead. And I'm glad you're, uh, you're here because I'm going to be honest. You mentioned the quality of the game and the difference between Game 1 yesterday versus Game 2. And I was drifting a little bit in and out last night for the first time, I think, in this long postseason grind that we have ahead of ourselves because it just simply was not an exciting game. Uh, but what I do know after seeing what I saw, and reading what I have read, that the Montreal Canadiens now have five straight wins. This is the first time in four and a half years that they've won five games in a row. They didn't even do that when they were being labeled juggernauts at the beginning of the season. And now they're five straight games, and those games that they've won, they haven't trailed at all. They seem to have found the version of themselves that Marc Bergevin envisioned, and what many people saw as possible at the start of the season, which was that maybe Montreal is not the best team in the North Division, Maybe they're not going to finish first. Maybe they're not even going to finish in the top three, which they didn't. But there is a strong possibility that they are the best postseason team in the North Division. And I feel like that is happening right now as we speak. There have been some fortuitous elements, starting with John Tavares, starting with the Maple Leafs having zero or just the mental fragility of you know a, a wet paper bag. Um, and the fact that Mark Shifley is now out of the series, at least for four games, although they they managed to win game one without Mark Shifley being a factor, and he played until the very last seconds. Um, but this is this is the story here of the North Division, is the Montreal Canadiens finding themselves at the exact right time. So how, since you've seen it play out all season long, did this go from totally unconvincing and a gift, another gift wrap postseason spot, really, to a convincing team that looks like it's destined for the Final Four? I think if you hear it from the Canadians players themselves, especially after uh, when they found themselves down through one against the Leafs, some kind of mindset just kind of switched for them. Like Phil Deneau over the last few media availabilities that he's had seems to reference this time when they were down through one, where he just kind of looked at himself in the mirror and said, Hey, like, you know, we're going to get out of this and we're going to, I'm the man and I'm going to play well. And the inner belief they've been able to unlock from themselves has helped. Uh, and that's what the players will tell you. Off of what we've been able to see, the Canadians are playing with confidence, and it's not just from their proven playoff veterans, the guys that they went out to get, and Eric Stahl, and Corey Perry, for example, which, by the way, that fourth line with those two guys and Yoel Armia, uh, pretty good job last night with the forechecking and the aggression that they were able to show. They are highlighting the fact that the Canadians' bottom six is – well above the Winnipeg Jets' bottom six, which I have to give them immense credit for. But it's their young players, too. Emmy, a guy who's been a dog for his play for much of the second half of the season. A lot of people are bringing up Brady Kachuk. That's one thing that keeps happening between Montreal and Ottawa. A lot of people keep comparing Jesperi Kakanyemi and Brady Kachuk and whether or not the Canadians made a mistake in drafting Jesperi Kakanyemi. You have to remember, he's a 20. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
I get it. I think Brady Kachuk as a was a more NHL ready player, and yeah. he's definitely going to be someone who's going to be terrorizing teams in his division for years to come. But Jesperi Kakanyemi plays a hard position at center. He's still 20 mm-hmm. years old, still has a lot of developing to do. I think he was rushed, but considering the fact that he's still able to be an NHL player, and he's proven that in the playoffs between last year and this year, he's able to play. He's able to produce and contribute, and I think that's a good thing for him. I think he deserves some praise off that. Cole Caulfield's another young player who everyone is just waiting for him to get that goal. Uh, one thing that kind of happened between game one and game two, a lot of people were kind of fixating on the fact that he wasn't really shooting the puck. And I think in, before game two, I think in four of his last five playoff games, he had like one shot on goal in each of them. When we all know about the release that he has in, in game two, he gets himself five shots on net. This is a kid who was obviously told, Hey, you have the shot, shoot the puck. But even if he's not producing on offense, he's trying to help create chances. He's going in on those odd man rushes and even on defense, I know I singled out one particular play where he broke up a, a Josh Morrissey shot that was supposed to come from the point and he helped kind of corner him along the wall, just eliminating a shot attempt. But it's little things like that that are going to obviously endear him more to Coach Dominic Ducharme, but also to the Canadiens' chances of, of getting out of this series with a victory. If you're not going to score, if you're not going to put up assists, if you're doing little things like that on the defensive side, that's a big plus. So it's a combination of young players stepping up when they need to, uh, the veteran players doing well, and Dominic Ducharme deserves some credit as well. He's been trying to get them to play on the puck. He's been trying to get them to forecheck very well and backcheck, obviously, and, and play this style where it, they're just suffocating. And, and the Jets could barely get through the neutral zone at times in game two. And, that's, and yes, Carey Price deserves a lot of credit for what he did, but the defense – the defensive play of the Canadians just has been stepping up in the last few games as well. It's it's kind of like a perfect storm of all these different elements that have been able to work for the Montreal Canadiens as of late. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on two keys there. Um, and and sort of the dynamic that the Montreal Canadiens have presented to this season in this in this postseason is the fact that you know they're they're set up in a way that's very unique. I, I don't I'm not sure if this is even a proper term, but in boxing, there's like a negative fighter, right? A, a boxer that isn't exactly that talented from a skills perspective, but can minimize the talent of the opposition and sort of drag them into their fight. And I think that's what they sort of have with Philip Deneau. And you mentioned him off the top. He's the guy who can basically just trim the top off these series. He can trim the top off by just being a negative influence out there, creating nothing on the ice when he's on the ice. And Montreal has designed itself where its depth is superior to anyone they're going to face. It's been proven now over two series. Their fourth line of Eric Stahl and Corey Perry, yeah, they're they're way past their primes. But, you know, in the last decade, they played on Olympic teams and won gold together. And they still have the ability to dominate in their matchups. And I think we're seeing Eric Stahl now rise to the level of the Corey Perrys and the Tyler Toffolis and the Kotkaniemis and the Suzukis that are having major impacts. They can win matchups lines two through four, pretty handily it seems right now at least against the competition they're against and as long as Phil Deneau continues to do his job continues to earn that pizza in the post game they are set up for success and it makes the job even more easier now that Mark Shifley's out because it just moves every it 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 hurts the depth even more for Winnipeg they've had to move Pierre-Luc Dubois up 
who looks like he can't even, he can't muster anything right now against Phil Deneau. And that just makes the matchups from two lines, two through four, that much more advantageous to Montreal, which was built this way. This was intentional, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of them backing into this situation or stumbling upon it and not really earning it from the start of the season or whatever, however you want to spin it. Montreal designed themselves, designs itself to be in this position where its depth was going to win in the postseason. And it's all coming to fruition. It is pretty remarkable. Uh, they will take a 2-0 series lead back home. I assume there'll be 2,500 in attendance for games three and four once again. Uh, and Mark Shifley will be out for another three games. So if they win, you know, they win two of three with Mark Shifley out, the series is, the, is theirs. Um, at this point, it doesn't seem like they can lose. It doesn't seem like Winnipeg has it to take back. So I'll ask you, can Montreal screw this up? <laughs> Um, that's a very good question, which is really weird because if you had asked me this about the Leafs a week ago, I'd been like, yes, if the Montreal Canadiens find a way to screw this up now, that's really bad on their part because of the fact that they have the series lead because of the fact that the Winnipeg Jets are as shorthanded as they are. Uh, again, full credit to the Canadians depth, putting them in a position where they could outmatch the other lines that the Winnipeg Jets had, but it's very clear that the Jets might be a much different team if Paul Statsny is out there, if Mark Scheifele is out there, and even Dylan DeMello, uh, who's been a good defenseman for, or decent defenseman for them at least, is out there as well. Not to say the Canadians wouldn't have a series lead, but for games three and four at home, the opportunity for them is pretty great to to sweep. I don't know if they'll actually get her. If they, I'd be stunned if, if and they didn't find a way to take a win out of it, but I also would have thought they would have gotten that win between game one or game two. Uh, I would, and Carey Price has been dialed in this entire postseason. And yeah, we haven't even talked I about it. I mean, I don't see a situation where Carey Price is going to like allow like four or five goals uh, in games three and four at home with a series for the taking. I don't see that happening. You could come back to this if I'm wrong, but Carey Price letting up at this point now would be pretty stunning. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, there's still a quality goaltender on the other side, and we talked about run support in the Maple Leaf series. I mean, the Canadians still have to provide that. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about spotting leads, and, you know, Carey Price has been a huge part of the fact that the Maple Leafs have won six of their first, my math is terrible, nine games to start the postseason. But, like, this is in the I mean, situation. the Canadians won six of nine. You said Maple Leafs. Sorry, Canadians have won 69. Still top of mind. Can't help it. Um, Could have said 67, but we don't want to trigger anybody. <laughs> People are triggered enough. Um, so so the Canadians are in this position, right? Because, you know, for, for multiple reasons. Because of price and because of the team. But we talked about run support and spotting leads. And now Carey Price has that lead. So as much as it's like... I, I mean, I... I we know it's ahead. It's either Colorado or Vegas. And I, and I think we were probably going to be looking at things differently when we get to that point, if and when we get to that point. But it's now on Carey Price to carry this the rest of the way, I, I, I think. Like, he could... It, it doesn't mean that he has to be incredible, and it doesn't mean that, you know, Montreal forwards defensemen, they can't do their part scoring. But talking about putting him in a position where, where Carey Price can be Carey Price... They're in that position now. He's in the thick sec, thick of the postseason, second round. Carey Price has that opportunity now to put his stamp 
on this season. And I think he is. I think he's rising to that occasion. Um, again, it's going to take Montreal to continue to score goals and for, continue to beat Connor Hellebuck or find ways to do to Connor Hellebuck what the Jets haven't been able to do to Carey Price. But I feel like this is Carey Price's opportunity, right? Hey, here's the thing. I think you're right in the sense that it's his opportunity to kind of stamp uh, – Not it's funny to say stamp himself because we all know he's this established goaltender who's won at so many levels here. I don't know if I necessarily agree that he has to carry them through games three and four. I think he just has to continue being solid in net, and it's on yeah. the Canadians in front of him to to get chances and make life miserable for Connor Hellebuck. One thing I've been trying to track all, all series, at least, is just the net front presence. We know that was a thing in game one, and Corey Perry after game one was saying how the Canadians could be a lot better with the traffic they put in front. And Philip Deneau after game two was saying they were a little bit better, but because of how tight the game was, they still weren't really able to do that. If provide that run support for Carey Price and in, in net, they're going to have to get those greasy goals. They're going to have to post themselves up in front and they're going to have to solve that defense from the Winnipeg Jets. That's what, that's another big reason why they were able to, to turn their success around instead of, trying to just rely on shots from the from the wall or or from these far out areas we've seen more and more plays uh, going towards the front of the net the Corey Perry that play in game one where he takes the pass from Joel Edmondson has that swarm of has the swarm of Jets players just coming towards him gets the pass off to Eric Stahl gains the more plays like that so while I think Carey Price obviously needs to do his role and again I really don't see a situation where in game three and game four he just gets so tired where he's just allowing no. so many bad goals it's on the Montreal Canadiens in front of him uh to put up points to keep playing well defensively and that's how it should be because Gary Price ever since he's reached this top form has had nights where he's just been the guy and the team in front of him has not played up to snuff and he's had to bail them out on so many occasions it almost feels as if considering the way that his career has gone to this point, the Canadians ultimately kind of owe it to him to play well in front of him and to just make it a lot easier for, for him in goal. 30 saves, 30 saves is a, is a pretty modest performance for Carey Price, uh, mm-hmm. especially in that game to win. But if he's able to get like two, three goals in front of him, that makes it a lot easier as opposed to having to kind of sweat it out in a one nothing game. The Canadians, in a weird way, as I kind of see it, they kind of owe it to him to kind of carry the series out and not just leave it to Carey Price. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it seems plainly obvious that Carey Price is going to do his part. And that means that Connor Hellebuck probably has to outplay him in four of the next five games for this series to go any other way, which I just don't see is happening with the way Carey Price is playing. Um, now, I mean, we're mentioning the two biggest, you know, the, the biggest players in this series seem to be Price and Hellebuck. And that sort of speaks to the situation that we find them that we find ourselves in here with Montreal and Winnipeg sort of, you know, not exactly providing the best hockey possible. And we mentioned it off the top. And this is sort of a reflection of the entire North division a little bit. Like, I mean, this is very deliberate on Montreal's part and Winnipeg played that role against the Edmonton Oilers sweeping that series but it doesn't reflect all that well in the North Division, this series and what we're seeing in other series because we, I kind of hinted towards it, but the winner gets either Colorado and Vegas and we've mentioned the juxtapositions between the two games we saw last night and it doesn't seem like anyone in the end in the North Division could hold a candle to at least those two teams. 
So, and you don't want to be down down on Montreal or down on Winnipeg and down on what they've accomplished. That's not really fair. But this hockey is not that exciting. It's not that fun. And it's frankly a little bit disappointing. If you're a Toronto area hockey fan, what this North Division provided, which is which was supposed to be the season of just complete fun and, you know, banter back and forth and all this great stuff that was supposed to come and what we've really gotten is the Jets muting the best player in the world and the Edmonton Oilers over four games, providing zero excitement. This second round series, which is providing, potentially could be over quickly and provided zero excitement. And the only real fun thing, and it wasn't fun to Toronto hockey fans, was this miraculous comeback from the Montreal Canadiens. Like, if it, at the end of all this, 56 games each, three playoff series, all that we get is Montreal's amazing comeback over the Maple Leafs. Like, didn't this disappoint? Did this not disappoint in the end, even if it's a great story in Montreal? I have so many thoughts on the discourse you just went right now. Hit, and I'm really glad right. that you specified Toronto hockey fans, who I get mm-hmm. it. They have been down bad over the last week. It's, and it's not... It's, God. it's everyone outside of Montreal. This is a great story for Montreal. It's a great time to be a Montreal like, Canadiens hockey fan. But outside of Montreal, this this North Division provided nothing. Nothing. Come on. Like, I'm sorry. To, to Toronto hockey fans, look, I, we know a bunch off of zone time. We know <laughs> a bunch through the media. It's not about you. Oh, man. It's not. I get it. It's not. The collapse was, was magnanimous. It was terrible. There's so many questions that are going to have to go around the Leafs. But I'm sorry. I can't help but feel that some of this, like, bitterness – from some of these Leaf fans is just out of just hate. And I'm not speaking as oh, a fandom of anything. I'm just saying, like, I get it. The games have not necessarily been all that enticing. But, man, it's like, get over it. Like, the, the, the Leafs <laughs> lost. The Leafs lost. They lost. But it's not about they the Leafs. Lead. They lost. I'm sorry, Okay, man. it's, it's less about the Leafs. It's less about the Leafs, though. Is this series fun? Is this series fun? I mean, objectively, Did we, not that d- much fun. Did we get a chance to liked, see? Would, did we get a chance to see Connor McDavid? You know, have any impact in these playoffs? No, no, that's not fun. But I'm sorry. So, at the end of the day, it's so all those one, teams to do the job. It's all one those series, teams to do the job. One series or seven games lived up to any expectation in terms of fun storylines, narrative, anything. And in those seven games, like we lost John Tavares early, taking the sting out of the series a little bit. Like all of this. There's so many games, so much, so much sweat poured out over these over this season that we're only going to see once in our lives, and in the end, we're stumbling towards a very anticlimactic finish after a very anticlimactic season. Are we not? Can you admit that? Like, I mean, we still have to go through games three and four in this series, and five, and maybe no, six no, if it uh, gets to that point. I don't exactly, know. but you're saying maybe five, maybe I five. It's anticlimactic if it's maybe five. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe we're just projecting. For all we know, Maybe. Connor Hellebuck might have like a 50 save performance in game three and have the performance of his life. And we look at that. Maybe in game three, for whatever reason, both teams find a way to break through the defensive structures and we get like a 6 5 game. I said at the beginning of the series, we'd be getting like a lot of like 1 nothing, 2 1 games. Game one, even if it might not have been the most exciting game or it was a lot more exciting than I thought it was going to be and obviously more eventful considering what happened to Jake Evans, 
there were some goals in that. I don't know. We just gotta just gotta be careful just a little bit. And I still think that a lot of the not saying necessarily you. I understand you're just a media member in Toronto and you hear a lot of the stuff. I still think mm-hmm. a lot of that, a lot of that, like you know, apathy is is just coming off of of what they've been experiencing over the last week. I'm I'm sorry. That's that's what I think. You know, fine. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I agree Win- partially. I agree partially. I I find Montreal Winnipeg is not the series I would have thought would have happened. And fine, you have a point. It's it's not it's not Edmonton Toronto, but I don't know. I I'm I'm not that bored. I was born in game two, but I'm not that bored. It's not the end of okay, the world. So, it's not so going to be like it, a whole series where it's just going to be like crappy hockey. There's still going to be some good performances from both goaltenders here. There's still going to be some fun storylines. I don't think it's worth just like dismissing or maybe I'm just being optimistic about it. I don't know. I mean, I think it resonates a little bit more with you for sure. But I mean, game two was objectively boring. And it if was. we get... If we get two, if we get three more of those and the Montreal Canadiens win 4-1 and then get absolutely stomped by the Colorado Avalanche, what are we going to be thinking when we look back on this North Division? Well, that really didn't live up to it, did it? The teams were and we're, we're going in, we're we going in circles were, yeah. here. We're going no, in fair. circles a little, a little bit fair. here. But that's when fair. I watch the other teams and when I watch what's going on in the other games, I'm like, this is this is a bit trivial. It's a bit trivial because... These North Division teams were never as good, and they never provided even even if you're like at a lower level. If you're not as good, you can still provide excitement. And other than Montreal coming back, uh, legitimately and objectively exciting, and like we'll always remember that series. Oh yeah. But aside but aside from that series, I don't know if there's going to be much to write home about. That's fair. But, That's fair. Maybe but, I'm wild. But a I agree. Bit. I agree. Montreal Canadiens fans should be savoring this moment. This is very yeah. fun for them. But I think so. It, it's it's game two was like wow this is and then watching Colorado well, and Vegas after it's like ah actually I'll say this and and this is the last thing I'll say about it because I know we are kind of fixating on a little bit more than we probably should I think there are going to be a subsection of Montreal Canadiens fans who are going to enjoy this but there's also a subsection of fans who are just really confused and are probably just like oh man all these things we said about Mark Bergevin through the second half of the year we're gonna have to walk all of that back. Uh, we did an episode of Zone Time where we straight up said the Canadians' rebuilding efforts or the retooling efforts straight up failed. I don't know if I want to go back to that episode because uh, <laughs> uh, none, of, none of the takes that were said there looked pretty good. Remember at one point we were talking about Patrick Waugh? Well, I mean, I wasn't trying to talk about Patrick Waugh coming in. That I, was make, I, I made you talk about Patrick Waugh, yeah. It all fared, but like Dominic Ducharme at this rate, if he manages to get to that conference final against Colorado, that's house money at this point. I don't see the oh, Canadians yeah. moving on from him after that. Mark Bergevin at least has assured himself he'll get one more year to to right the ship and make this team even better. So at the very least for the Montreal Canadiens, like for many people who are detractors of those two guys, I think there's a, there's a small subsection of fans who are just kind of like, okay, I, I guess this is where we're we're going, but you you bring up a really good point. And uh, with how the divisions will look next year and where some of those North division teams will rank, I'm really mm-hmm. intrigued at where the Canadians are going to rank when they end up back in that division with a Tampa and a Toronto and a Boston and Florida as well. Like that's going to be really interesting. Well, I'll say this and we'll wrap it with this. The, the concept is proven for Mark Bergevin. He built probably the best team in the North division or the best playoff team in the North division. What's that worth in the grand scheme of things? 
when you look at Colorado, when you look at Vegas, probably nothing other than bragging rights in this in the country, right? Yes, probably nothing. Absolutely more. bragging rights. Absolutely. But and those bragging you... rights are worth it. And I, if oh, yeah. I'm the Montreal, if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'm not even, I'm not only reveling in that, but reveling in the fact that we shut down all this incredible talent in the Canadian division. Like we just, we made it so we were your kryptonite. We made it so that your best players couldn't do nothing. But there are levels to this. And the North yes. Division, I think we should probably accept, was not on the same level as these other divisions. I agree. That I will definitely agree with. Mark Shifley, suspended yes. four games. Any hot takes on that before we move on to Vegas, Colorado's game three last night? I don't like the fact that the NHL does these things that cause for us to lower the bar for it, whether it's – there are so many lists of things, whether it's how they respond to social issues, which is a whole other thing in itself – and also when it comes to player safety, because I genuinely thought the NHL was going to suspend Shifley for about two games. And maybe even if it, I wouldn't have been surprised if it would have been fewer than those two games, it would not have mm -hmm. been the right call, but everyone would have just been like, oh, well, that's what you get with the player safety and how they've dictated other things. Uh, but the fact that they got four games out of Mark Shifley, I leave it being pleasantly surprised, even if I thought if it was up to me, maybe Mark Shifley probably doesn't play the rest of this series. Uh, and maybe you could feel it's a bit harsh, but I think what he did was pretty malicious and not didn't necessarily uh, have any intent to play the puck or at least keep the puck from going in the net. That was, that, that was an intent to injure as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. The one thing I'll add to that as well, I don't think Mark Shifley is deserving of any of the hate that has come his way, whether it's to him or to his family uh, I think that's way out of line for any fan that's trying to do that. But I think for what Mark Shifley did, uh, it was good that the NHL punished him for what he did, but I still don't like the idea that the NHL should get that much credit for suspending him considering the back and forth and the confusion uh, that's there with how they suspend players. I was certainly surprised because um... – they use the NHL, you know, it doesn't necessarily take these, I mean, we've seen it this season, it doesn't take, like, potentially dangerous situations into account. Um, it feels like they punish the result over any, anything, and I think they're certainly, I don't want to say they're guilty of that here, that, that's just what they did. I mean, if, if Jake Evans pops up right away, I don't even think Mark Shifley gets suspended, to be honest. I, I just don't think that would have been the case. And I think that's a dangerous precedent they're setting, because that's not the way to run anything efficiently is to just punish the result because that's not just how things work. Eventually you're going to get to the point where, you know, you, you, no, no amount of suspension can equal what actually happened to someone who gets seriously, seriously injured and irreparably injured. Um, so that's just not the way to go about things. You have to, you have to curtail the act before it gets to the point where it's truly bad. Um, and for that reason, I, I will say, this was an intent to injure. This was a truly horrendous act that Mark Shifley did. He was trying to punish someone and hurt someone for putting the puck into his net. So I give them credit for, you know, not taking into account. Well, they took it into account, but not just saying, oh, this squeaky clean image. This is one off. Uh, we can't give him, you know, a, a serious suspension here um, because it was what it was. It was bad. Um, but I still think that they have work to do to try and be running at an optimal level because you can't just look at Jake Evans and say, that's the suspension. You have to look at everything in its entirety and, and make the right decisions. And they're still not doing that. Even if they've been a little bit better, I guess, since the Tom Wilson incident. 
Okay, let's go to Vegas, Colorado. Uh, this is a truly fascinating series and a fascinating dynamic here because we saw a complete, um, you know, we saw the Avalanche just completely run roughshod over Colorado in game one. I believe they put up seven. I'm not sure if they finished with eight. They put up at least a touchdown. Um, but since that, or since the start of the second period in game two, <clears throat> excuse me, Vegas has been irrefutably the better team. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Refutably, they have completely flipped this series on its head. And they were rewarded for their play, finally, at the end of Game 3 with Jonathan Marchessault and Max Pacioretty scoring 45 seconds apart to take back a game. It appeared the Avalanche were on the verge of stealing themselves to make it 3 nothing. Um, it was, you know, late-game heroics for the Vegas Golden Knights and saved their series. That could be the moment the tide turns, but it seems like the tide has been turning for a while now. So how in this series are, are the Vegas Golden Knights... And are they the better team, even though they're down 2-1? Here's the thing. I I think Colorado in games two and three, at least from the point you mentioned in game two and game three, Philip Grubauer has probably stuck out as, if not one of, at least I think he's the, personally, best player that's that stood out. And a lot of people have been mm-hmm. kind of wondering if, if he's deserving of the Vezina. I think he's shown his worth as a Vezina caliber, potentially Vezina caliber goaltender over these last few games. I don't know if I'm ready to say Vegas is outright the better team yet. That being said, I think Colorado definitely needs to step up in game four and and go back to being that better team they were in game one. I I still think that uh, as while we did kind of look at the Colorado Avalanche and make all the jokes about them being the Harlem Globetrotters and and Vegas looking, you know, less than the Harlem Globetrotters, obviously. You got to remember they were playing off of a game seven uh, a couple of nights before against Minnesota. And I think they had that fatigue or at least that kind of down from the emotional high of winning a game seven. I still think that counts for something. Uh, it would have been an absolute stunner and a disservice to all of us. If a Colorado Vegas series would have just, you know, gone to three O and Vegas either would have had to do some kind of Herculean effort to get back to make it a seven game series or Colorado just dispatches them in five or six. It would have been an absolute disservice to us. Not only did the Vegas golden Knights save their season in game three, they saved this series from an entertainment perspective for all of us, because this series is going to be way more fun. If Vegas plays like the better team again in game four and ties it, and then both teams have to regroup and think, okay, it's a best of three and who's going to take it from there. I still think this series goes seven. Um, Vegas has been the better team in the last few games, but I don't think it's going to take that much for Colorado to rebound and end up being the better team in a game again. 
Well, any team, and I might be speaking specifically to the Toronto Maple Leafs here, that doesn't have that gear that you need to make a result that's not going your way go your way needs to look at game three from the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, backs against the wall on home ice, that helps. Pack crowd, all that helps. But their game three, a must win, desperation, was a masterpiece, even though it took until late in the game to finally get um, the advantage that would actually hold up. They had 87 total shot attempts, 43 to 20 shot advantage, 16 to 5 in high danger looks. The expected goals finished four to about one and a half. But they they turned what was, you know, all this has been highly competitive, but they turned the Colorado Avalanche, who have looked unstoppable at times in the series, at times in the playoffs, hadn't lost up until that point, into a very average-looking team, a team that couldn't produce anything with its top-end talent and relied on a fourth-line goal um, to even put themselves into the game, it seemed. They, they kind of saved themselves by responding right after William Carlson opened the scoring. They rendered what is the the best top-heavy you know, class in the NHL. Like that top line is probably the best in the NHL in terms of all so much talent concentrated on one unit. They also have a lot of other stars that support, and that's really the difference between Colorado and many other teams. But they rendered that top line completely, completely useless in game three. And Jared Bart- Bednar came out and said it. Uh, he called out Nathan McKinnon and the top line um, for their performance. He said, go ahead, check the numbers on our top guys tonight. See what they did compared to their top guys. It's not close. So, you know, he said, go ahead, and I did it. And he's right. That top line, Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Ranston at five on five, two shots, three scoring chances. McKinnon finished the night with 0.0 in expected individual goals. On the flip side, Max Pacioretty, who scored the game winner, had eight scoring chances just by himself. They found a way to t- to shut down the greatest show on ice in Game 3. And I do respect a response because Jared Bednar called for it, and Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, and Gabriel Landeskog are too good to not do anything in a single game, in a playoff game, with all that's expected of them. So, I mean, I expect that the, the counterpunch to come, but what Vegas did complete top to bottom incredible in game three their performance was one for the ages in terms of uh single game postseason performances uh they were incredible they simply were incredible do you feel good about your vegas cup pick Uh, do i mean i guess our collective vegas cup picks because we both picked vegas to win i mean because i'll say this um I did pick Vegas to win on this podcast, but there's a part of me that would be really happy to see the Colorado Avalanche do it with the core that they have. I know they have a bunch of unrestricted free agents and they have to figure out their contract situations after that, but I would really be happy to see this Colorado core win it. But uh, if Vegas comes out of this and knocks off Colorado uh, by being the better team and shutting down that line, uh, that top line for the Colorado Avalanche, I can't see any other team at the rest of the, for the rest of the playoffs, beating them, even a Tampa Bay at this point, that would be really impressive on Vegas's part. I think Tampa could potentially get them. Um, but he, I feel a lot better after last night, but I also don't feel a lot better because that was the perfect game for the Vegas golden Knights. Perfect. They couldn't have played much better. You can't really play better against Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon and Miko Ranton. And even though Miko Ranton did score on the power play. Um, and that's really, we, we should get to the power play in a second because Colorado's only in this series or only up in this series, not say in because they dominated game one. 
but they're up 2-1 in the series exclusively on the back of their power play. Um, but that's saying that I don't feel that much better, even though they got back in the series about the pick, because they played their perfect game. They bowled 300 in game three, but they only won 3-2. They still have those problems with scoring enough goals. They, I, I, th- I think Philip Grubauer, you know, validated his Vesna nomination in the game. He was brilliant. But how many times do Vegas make goaltenders look brilliant? They always do. They always find a way. I don't think they have quite enough scoring. And even when Colorado plays poorly, they can be within one goal. Um, and I feel like Colorado's not going to be played poorly throughout the entire series. They're yeah. probably going to have their best game in game four. And if they do, more often than not, that's going to lead to a victory. And then all of a sudden it's 3-1 Colorado and it's in their, you know, back in complete control. Uh, but again, the winner of this series should definitely be favored for the Stanley Cup. I mean, they're going to get probably an inferior team in comparison in the third round, be it Montreal or Winnipeg. And then, you know, Tampa or Boston or Carolina is going to be tough. The Islanders maybe not as much. Um, But this right now feels like the stakes couldn't be higher in the second round series. Uh, Scolding hot take over here. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche will have more than 20 shots on net in game four. You can take that to the bank. I assume so. I assume so. Uh, quickly on the power play, because Miko Rantanen did score on the power play, which is, uh, I believe, scored 11 goals in 41 minutes. So That's every, insane. basically every other power play, they're producing at least a goal, Colorado. So the key for Vegas would obviously be not putting the Colorado Avalanche on the power play. Incredible what Colorado and Tampa do on the power play. It's just like, again, if you want to watch above everybody. Power, if you want to watch a power play that's actually figuring things out, just I know you don't have the talent that no 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 teams have the talent that Colorado and Tampa have on their power plays, but like you can maybe draw a little inspiration from that. But Miko Rantanen with his power play goal uh, extended his point streak in the playoffs to 17 games, and he's the first player in over 30 years with points in 17 consecutive postseason games. I mean that says something because I remember stat board the other night with Nathan McKinnon, who's basically scoring two point zero points per game like he's averaging two points per game in his last like 20 playoff games like you cannot hold these guys down even if the win or lose Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon are going to score goals especially if you put them on the power play these two guys are automatic they're not going to be shut out you have to you have to score to beat Colorado and in the end I don't know if Vegas can score enough to beat Colorado but certainly if they play like they did in game three this is going to be exactly the series that we thought it was going to be and not to make it about the North Division teams again, but I, I think of Toronto and Montreal exclusively here when I think of the Colorado Avalanche. The Colorado Avalanche, with the depth that they have at forward and on defense, they, they could get goal te- they could get goals from anybody. If Nathan McKinnon has an off night or Miko Ranton has an off night, we've mentioned on this podcast how guys like Tyson Jost can step up. Uh, and and again, the fact that they have star players who can step up when the moment calls for them. And we, I think it's going to happen again for McKinnon and Ranton at some point again in this series. You need a team like a Colorado. I really hope they get out of this series. You need a team like a Colorado and a Vegas too, because they have the depth at forward and defense as well in the goaltending. You need those are two of the prototypical teams you should look at if you're trying to build true contending teams. Because you have you need the depth. You need to be able to have guys who can go up against those bottom sixes and and really work in the corners. Well, you need your top line guys to score. And you're right. Like the way that Toronto and Montreal and all those other North division teams miles behind guys like a Colorado and a Tampa Bay, but 
I just think with, with the way Colorado's just built, I, I can't help but look at some of these North Division teams and be a GM and be like, man, like we need a team like that. Like a Montreal, regardless of what happens to them, they should go out there and try to find a way to get themselves like a top scoring winger, uh, knowing that probably Thomas Tatar probably isn't going to stick with them. And if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, I know I've said they need to do something. They That core up top just needs to look at themselves and, and figure something out, or at least they need to get somebody in there who's going to be able to have that killer instinct in the playoffs. Or, hey, maybe it was John Tavares and the Leafs just aren't weren't able to take advantage of that this year, obviously, with what mm-hmm. happened to him. But you need that combination of guys in your bottom six who are going to be able to play well and contribute with scoring when you need, but your top line guys just need to score. And, and you know, we talk about, oh, you know, the Tavares injury, that changed everything. Well, guess what? Colorado's dealing with injuries too, or dealing with yeah. absences at least. Nazem Kadri's out. Bowen Byram's out. Eric Johnson's been out seemingly forever. Colorado's playing with their seventh and eighth defenseman right now, playing major minutes. They're playing with their they're playing without their second line center. They're playing it without Bowen Byram, who is a difference maker immediately in his rookie season. Like there's no more excuses. There's just not excuses. Colorado's not giving excuses. That the great teams can withstand the absence of one player, and uh, Toronto couldn't. I will say Montreal might be closer to Colorado. Like a- any reasonable thought would would be, oh Toronto. If there's a version of Colorado, it's Toronto. Look at all the top end talent. But that's not what it's all about. That's not what defines the Colorado Avalanche. Depth defines the Colorado Avalanche. Talent all over the roster defines the Colorado Avalanche. So we know how much Nathan McKinnon thinks of Phil Deneau. If Phil Deneau can create that wash, which would be very tough against Nathan McKinnon, I mean, the depth is much better suited to match up against Colorado's depth. Just a thought for everybody in the North Division. Holy crap. Before we just get to the next point here, whoa, that would be... I didn't even think about the fact that we could be on a collision course where Nathan McKinnon might have to do a Phil Deneau in the playoffs. I, mm. I never thought in a hundred years, in a million years, that we'd ever see a situation where those two players might come up against each other considering what Nathan said about Phil Deneau. That comment is going to be like, if the Montreal Canadiens get to that point, of course, we're going to be hearing that comment a lot in a Montreal-Colorado series, if it gets to that point. And what's crazy is I'm more comfortable saying Montreal is going to get there than Colorado. Wild times. Uh, Other headlines before we get to... The tire pump, which we haven't done in a little while. I don't think we have to waste too much time on this, but, uh, you know, adding to the angst in Toronto is the fact that negotiations don't seem to be going particularly well with Zach Hyman and the Maple Leafs. I don't think they've really dug into it, but there was reports of $5 million being turned down. And I'll keep this one short. The Toronto Maple Leafs cannot afford to pay Zach Hyman more than $5 million. There's just no scenario in which that's possible unless you trade from your big four. Like, you, you just can't. You're basically going to have five forwards making money and the other seven forwards on your roster making less than a million dollars. Like, there's, there's just no way that they can that they can give Zach Hyman what he could get potentially on the open market, which is ridiculous, by the way. If you're paying Zach Hyman $6 million, That's I love Zach money. Hyman. I love Zach Hyman. Great utility player. Great guy. Can't say anything bad about him. Not a bad bone in his body. But if you're giving him more than $6 million and he's, you know, getting up there in age, he's approaching 30, how long is that contract going to be? I don't know. But there's no way that that's not, that's a good idea in the end to give him more than $6 million on a long-term deal. I just can't see it. And the Maple Leafs can't afford to do that as 
as hurtful as that might sound to Maple Leaf fans who love Zach Hyman, it looks like he could be the penalty here for what is, you know, not 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 turning into a long line of penalties or concessions you've had to make, but they've lost players like Janssen and Kappen and Kadri and go down the list, even way back to JVR and Tyler Bozak. This is going to be another one, Connor Brown, that you're going to lose because you're paying the price of winning without winning. It's a tough situation. That's tough. I, I don't even, but I also, I'm also curious as to which team, uh, I know obviously with free agents and all that, but like which team is really going to be that team that says, you know what? We're going to give Zach Hyman $6 million. I really want to know in a, in a world where we're in a flat cap, which Ottawa, team maybe. is really, oh man. Okay. You know, the, right. the venge, the vengeful DJ Smith. We love this guy's sort of move that Pierre Dorian <laughs> might make. I don't know. I mean, they got money to spend at least. I mean, they gave five and a half, I think, to Evgeny Dadanov. And, you know, D- Dadanov's the better scorer, a better yeah, offensive at player, least. I guess. But Dadanov had a bad season. And it seems yes, like he he's a guy that benefited from playing with Sasha Barkov. Anyway, uh, I don't know exactly where he's going to end up, but him scoffing at $5 million allegedly. Not a good sign. Uh, also, before we get to the tire pump, Evgeny Malkin had off-season knee surgery. He's going to miss the start of training camp. He's going into his last year on that big money contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That puts things a little bit further under the microscope for everything that's going on in Pittsburgh, which didn't exactly give off the th- give off the belief that they were going to be too active with their post uh, postseason, their exit meeting pressers, um, confidence in Jari, all that, uh, but. If Genny Malkin, clearly not right in the playoffs, clearly not going to be ready for the start of next season. I mean, it's it's more, we talk about angst, that's more reason to be feeling that way if you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I I, I think. No? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, there's so many questions you have to ask with the core that's there, and I understand that this isn't just something where where the management in place could just kind of move on from a guy like Malkin. This is something where you're ultimately going to have to bring in Sidney Crosby and Mario Lemieux to, to deal with. So that just ultimately adds to the angst and anxiety uh, that's going to be setting in for Pittsburgh Penguins fans. Uh, Evgeny Malkin is a player who's meant a lot to this core, has meant a lot to this organization, and he's done his fair share of winning alongside of with Sidney Crosby. Uh, but there's a lot of tough questions that are just going to have to be asked this offseason and potentially to next year, especially with this news, uh, which kind of just got like randomly dumped in the middle mm. of, of like Friday, which uh, is kind of weird to hear. But uh, yeah, that's a really tough situation for Evgeny. Not that I expect it, but um, I guess it eliminates the possibility, too, of a trade involving Malkin this offseason. Again, I didn't yeah. think it was going to happen, but you're, you got to think you got to think you know, big picture and, and ambitiously if you're the Penguins uh, as you try to flip this roster again. And if Evgeny Malkin is walking toward unrestricted free agency, you know, you got to at least entertain the idea of seeing what's out there. And I don't think they can do that this summer. They might have to revisit that at the trade deadline next year if they get to the point where they're not in the playoffs uh, and with so much change on the horizon. Okay, uh, in lieu of a musical interlude, I will just introduce the tire pump which is the segment in which we bestow praise on something or someone. Uh, and I'll let you go first. Retire pump goes to my sister, uh, Kayla wow. Mackenzie, okay. uh, my sister this weekend, uh, graduating officially uh, from her master's program in exercise science. Uh, she nice. spent a year uh, doing the master's program in sports and exercise science. Uh, 
at the University of West Indies. The program is technically through the University of New Brunswick, and I believe the ceremony that is take that was taking place that is taking place this weekend uh, is the UNB ceremony. She already had the the University of West Indies ceremony, but still, just the fact that those two schools are involved, all that's still noteworthy to mention. Uh, I'm just proud to know that uh, another Mackenzie has a master's <laughs> degree. Uh, Kayla and I can now boast and brag about the master's degrees that we have, and. Our uh, younger sister, Lauren, who knows what's in store for her. She just finished her first year of uh, university at Concordia. So, uh, yeah, things are on the up and up for the McKenzie uh, siblings. Nice. Shout out to Kayla. Big pressure on Lauren. I mean, you got to get oh, to yeah. the undergrad and then you got to then you got to get a master's degree just to keep up with Julian and Kayla. So uh, congratulations to the McKenzie clan. Uh, I'll keep it in the hockey realm uh, and I'll go with Team Canada. Yes. Losses. Losses to Latvia and Germany, the worst Team Canada we've seen in a very long time, is suddenly going to be playing in the gold medal game at the World Championship in Latvia. Uh, there are literally guys that I've never heard of on this Canadian team. One of them put it in the empty netter belonged to someone I've literally never heard of, which is shocking that Canada <laughs> has no-name players on its roster. But after what was a terrible start that didn't even inspire any reason to watch what they were doing midday, you know, the world championship is nice. It's midday. You get a little midday hockey and it's something to throw on in the background. Um, but it wasn't even worth it based on how they started. But Gerard Gallant, Turk, shout out to Turk. I mean, he's going to get an NHL job, maybe just based on this success alone. Uh, but they beat the United States. I believe it was four to the final Saturday morning to move on to either play Finland or Germany. By the time you're listening to this, you'll probably know who they're playing in the gold medal game. But you know, shout out to that team. Owen Power playing a big role. The probably the uh, prospective Buffalo Sabres draft pick number one overall. I guess we didn't discuss that on the podcast. We don't really need to. Um, but uh, yeah, Canada. I mean, it, it remains a hockey power despite putting its worst product possible on the ice at the Men's World Hockey Championship. Do you know who's leading the tournament in scoring? Uh, I don't. Who is? Connor Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, just just for Canada and the entire tournament because Canada barely scored any goals in the tournament. Um, I it's got to be Can- I mean, got to be Canada. I I mean I think it's for Canada, but I think it might be for the tournament as well. One of my friends is a big Ottawa Senators fan, and we keep talking about how uh, Connor Brown has done really well at this tournament. I think at one point he was tied mm-hmm. with uh, Liam Kirk of Great Britain, and I never thought in a million years anyone from Great Britain would lead any hockey tournament in scoring. Uh, <laughs> I mean it- Liam Kirk. Yeah, yeah, it is Connor Brown. Yep, Connor Brown and Connor Brown has a thirteen points. I didn't even think they scored thirteen goals in the tournament. Maybe he's just been in on all of them. Uh, but you're right; it's been kind of a. If Connor Brown's leading the tournament, I mean, Connor Brown's a, a nice player a, a, and a great story this year for Ottawa. Scored a ton of goals, more than probably anyone expected he would at the NHL level. But I mean, the names at this tournament are pretty weak. And you're right, Liam Kirk, Great Britain, sixth in tournament scoring with seven goals and nine points. Uh, maybe maybe I overstated it a little bit because this doesn't seem to be... <laughs> this might be the worst Canadian team, but it might be the worst just tournament uh, that the World Championships have ever seen. And, you know, it's pandemic time, so that's, I guess, the situation we're in. Uh, let's leave it there before we uh, slander Canadian hockey and, you know, professional hockey players even more. Um, yeah, I think we're back to our week weekend cadence here. Uh, mm-hmm. We're probably going to have lots to talk about next weekend because we're going to probably know 
one way or the other if this is going to be, in fact, a great series between Montreal and Winnipeg or it's long been over because Montreal got things done in four games. But there will be plenty of talk about because the Stanley Cup playoffs roll on. Good talking, Julian. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. Likewise. Peace. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.